Hey guys, it's your girl Lanita Harris here and today we're going to be talking about owning your story and how not taking ownership of your story can impair your relationships and hinder or altogether prevent growth. Let's talk about it. It's never too late for you to embrace who you are. It's never too late to embrace who you were designed to be. So guys, we can all agree that your story is your story, right? Regardless of how it came into being and regardless of what you were born into, True, there's a lot of stuff about our story that we had no control over, like when we were kids. In fact, many of the habits that we carry throughout our lives, for better or for worse, are developed in childhood. These habits are formed from observational learning, which means what it sounds like, basically. Learning behaviors and what to do or not do by observing what's done or not done and when it's done or not done. To quote an article written last year about how habits are formed, Habits form and get entrenched in the human brain automatically based on an individual's environment unless there is a conscious effort to shape them. Once habits set, they are very difficult to break because repeat habits set up a dopamine release loop in the brain which creates a feeling of pleasure and strengthens the habit. So let's see a great depiction of this in the Bible, shall we? We're going to be going to Romans chapter 7, verse 15 in the Amplified Classic Version. And here, Paul says, For I do not understand my own actions. I am baffled, bewildered. I do not practice or accomplish what I wish, but I do the very thing that I loathe, which my moral instinct condemns. So let's break this down. If we look more closely, this is a great in-depth look at Paul's psyche when he wrote this. He's showing his humanity and struggle. Now, he blames it on sin, and that's okay because that clearly was the extent of his knowledge at that time, right? But let's look at that. So what are the sins? You know many of them. Adultery, covetousness, fornication, immorality, lying, stealing, killing, things of the like, right? So the Hebrews were given Ten Commandments to live by and keep. Basically, sin was anything happening in contradiction to these commandments. And those Ten Commandments were given to Moses way back in the day in the Old Testament for him to then give to the Hebrews as their rubric for how to live. Now, let's fast forward a bit into the New Testament when Jesus came in and told folks, basically, listen, y'all, don't worry about trying to keep the Ten Commandments, okay? Just love God more than anything else and love people as you love yourself. And you don't have to worry about the Ten Commandments because you'll automatically follow them. Why would he say that? Y'all know on my podcast now, if I don't talk about nothing else, I'm going to talk about love, loving people, and loving self. And how the best reference for that love is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8. And if you're doing your best to emulate those characteristics in your relationships and in your life, then you know it is hard work. Mm -hmm. So why would Jesus say that love basically replaces all the commandments? We've already established that the commandments were basically a rubric for how people should live and discipline themselves, right? So it was the law for that group of people. Why? Because they had no physical ruler or leader. They had no police force. And there was millions of them, y'all. So how were they supposed to peacefully coexist with no rules of operation or code of conduct? The commandments was the code of conduct. And if they didn't discipline themselves according to those commandments, then basically death was their end. <laughs> Honey, stoned. 
over with. Okay, (laughs) that was the end because they didn't have jails. So there was no place to store people while they thought about their actions or whatever. Now, was this stoning method drastic? Absolutely. But low key, what else were they going to do to reprimand those who took advantage of or who wouldn't do right by others? Clearly, that was the best solution that they had at the time because that's what they chose to do in the absence of a legal authority and governmental structure. Okay, so the concept was basically still what we do now, which is either you discipline yourself to do right by yourself and your neighbor or we're going to do it for you, period. Except nowadays, we just have different ways of disciplining folks and keeping order, lest the people descend into lawlessness and chaos. Amen? Uh Uh-huh. So what does love have to do with this? Well, if you look at the description of love in those scriptures there in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it is the absolute highest and deepest form of self-discipline and self-control. Mm-hmm. which is why it can be so hard to implement at times when you want to just while all the way out. So Jesus came in and then said, don't worry about the law. Love is the rubric by which you can grade your actions and standards or expectation. Now back to Paul. So the context of the scripture in Romans chapter 7, verse 15 there, based on the verses before and after, Paul was talking about that law and how important obeying it was in contrast to his quote-unquote flesh, which in his mind at that time was where the root of all sin dwelled. It's important to note here that the word sin has its origins in archery, you know, shooting arrows at a bullseye, right? And sin is the word used to describe missing the mark. I don't know the Hebrews original emphasis on or implication concerning that word sin, but somewhere along the way, sin, that word became emphasized as something much larger than a simple missing of the mark. It has turned into something that stains the soul, right? And keeps people in bondage for eternity, even sending them to a place of eternal torment. And the absolutely powerful stronghold of sin can only be broken by the one thing that's stronger than sin, and that's Jesus. And without knowledge of Jesus, you done for. It's over with, okay? Because sin innately has humanity in a chokehold and will suffocate the life out of you, period. (laughs) Okay, that's what sin has become. And that's eh, a whole lot, right? To me, it is anyway. So let me give you my perspective because we're talking about your story, right? So how does sin, habits, and love factor into owning your story? Go with me here. Paul said he did not understand his own actions because he didn't do what he wanted to do, that which is right, because he was doing what he didn't want to do. And then in the verses following that, he said it was because sin lived in and consumed his very being or his flesh. And the only way to overcome that was through Jesus. Okay, evil is always present. And apparently he was really struggling with some things. Now, let's use what we know about habits. Habits are formed largely in our childhood and also by being immersed in something. People do them without thinking. And as we read earlier from that article, Once habits are set, they are very difficult to break because repeat habits set up a dopamine release loop in the brain, which creates a feeling of pleasure and strengthens the habit. So basically, my perspective is that people default to their habits. And when faced with an emotional situation they don't know how to cope with, especially if they weren't taught healthy coping methods, they run to whatever their habit is 
or another option based on various suggestions that they've seen. And in the process, they don't execute self-restraint or discipline. They just do without thinking about the consequences or potential long-term effects because they don't know how to properly channel and process all that energy within them that was caused by whatever stimulus. Then after that energy is released and their judgment unclouded by said energy, they're like, oh shoot, my bad. And guilt, shame, and whatever else takes place. And sin, from my perspective, guys, isn't rooted in flesh necessarily. It's rooted in habits not being in a quote-unquote fallen state and just being in constant war with God. Because sin happens in areas, typically, where we just don't have much self-restraint and self-discipline. Now, where love comes into play is that if you develop a habit of walking in and living from a place of love, then you automatically develop self-restraint, discipline, and better, healthier coping methods because of all the things that love asks and requires us to consider in order to operate from it. Love keeps our heart and consciences clear. It helps us to fly freely and extend grace to others liberally. These habits. Negative habits produce negative results, right? I don't have to tell you guys that. You already know how your relationships with yourself and others can be impaired by your actions or lack thereof. Think about it. If we use the example of an addict, right? Addicts don't start off wanting to be addicts or being addicts. They typically start off wanting to escape an emotional pain or an emptiness that they feel and they are presented with an option that they choose. And then they continue to run to that option as a way to cope with whatever they don't understand or know how to process properly. And their entire rehab, if they go, is centered around taking personal responsibility for their actions and choices and developing different habits. An addict is an extreme case of an internal struggle, right? Not every struggle leads to an addiction, but every struggle is indeed valid. And it's up to you as a person to determine when you're tired of that struggle and when you want something different. Now, back to your story and childhood. Your story thus far is and has been made up of repeat habits that you likely learned in your childhood, things that you learned to do to cope with what you were facing the best way that you could. And there is and should be no shame in your story. And there doesn't have to be if you own your story. So how do you own your story? Guys, so many adults walk around living out habits they learned that are rooted in negative feelings toward or about their parents or lack thereof. The emotional voids or traumas inside us cause us to run to a myriad of things to placate us. We have an emotionally or physically absent parent or both. And so then we seek that attention and affection from the same sex or opposite sex in a way to fill that void. But the void is never filled because we are trying to fit a partner or a mate into the slot that only a parent can occupy. So then we act like children with our mates and throw temper tantrums in our own grown-up ways when we don't get our way or if our mates don't perform to our liking. Isn't that what a kid does? Except for their little selves, it manifests as crying loudly, falling out on the floor, throwing stuff, whatever, right? Because that's all their little selves have the knowledge to do. But oh, my friends, when we grow up, we learn a whole lot of ways to get that energy out. Though some of us still use the crying and yelling insults and throwing things or punching things or people as a way to get their energy out. 
The thing is, after a child has that temper tantrum, though, they move right on like nothing ever happened because they don't yet have the wherewithal to realize how their actions have impacted those around them. As we age, though, we learn that some behaviors aren't permissible or likable, and we learn feelings like guilt and shame. And pretty much for all of us, we age chronologically, but whatever emotional needs weren't met in our childhood, they still inform our decisions and responses in our adulthood. And we're basically children inside adult bodies. Many adults, guys, are still blaming their parents for how their lives turned out. They're not taking responsibility for their choices and responses or reactions and instead choose to blame other things or people. And many have resentment or unforgiveness or conflicted feelings in their hearts concerning their parents. So we must grow to the place where we forgive our parents for their shortcomings and imperfections, bless them, and move on. Because we should understand that our parents' lives did not start when ours did. They'd already lived for however many years and had already had their share of experiences. Some of our parents fared better than others and were able to give us a bit more than others. And some parents were just terrible. We're just going to call a spade a spade, okay? Regardless of which part of the spectrum your parent or parents or caregivers fell on, you have got to know and believe they were absolutely doing their best at that time with whatever they had going on that you maybe knew about or didn't know about. So give them some grace. Step one of owning your story is to forgive your parents, bless them, and move on. If they're no longer here in the land of the living, forgive them, bless them, and let them go. And then work on being your own parent. What does that look like? It looks like being for yourself what you did not have. And you may say, well, how do I know how to be that if I didn't have it? I didn't see it. You can think of what you think you might have needed and then just be that. Show that to yourself. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, make an adjustment. That's what a parent does. Step two is taking responsibility for your decisions rather than blaming something or someone else. You can do that by simply saying, I am responsible. That one sentence there. It doesn't matter what the situation is. If you're in it, there's some degree of responsibility that you can take ownership of. And when you take that responsibility or ownership, you can then see things differently and begin to process things in a manner you hadn't before. Guys, the mind can only hold one thought at a time. So if you're having a moment where you want to blame someone else or you're trying to spaz out in some type of a negative emotion, just stop right there and either think it or say out of your mouth, I am responsible to break that thought pattern up. Step three is developing new habits, preferably better and more beneficial habits. Like I said last week in the podcast titled The Root, anything new is going to be awkward at first, right? Just keep practicing that new thing and eventually it will be embedded into you and become comfortable. For more information and helpful tips on how to develop new habits, please, please check out the teachings of Dr. Caroline Leaf. She's a brilliant cognitive neuroscientist and has tons of helpful information on how to control your mind and how to form new habits. I'll put a link down below to some of her stuff, okay? Step four, extend love to yourself when you remember your past. Listen, love covers a multitude, you hear me? So cover yourself and your past in love, kindness, and understanding. That's called extending grace to yourself. And remember that last part of step one, becoming your own parent? Yeah, this is a part of that. So release the shame and guilt 
you've learned very valuable lessons from those feelings of shame and guilt by now, or at least you should have, right? And you no longer need those feelings as a reminder. So go ahead and release them. And then step five, share your story with others along the way. You can't share what you're ashamed of, guys. Whatever you're ashamed of remains covered and hidden. Transparency is so powerful. So do your best to read the room, right, or your audience, and only share something that you wouldn't mind being repeated without your presence in whatever room they're sharing it in, okay? Now, you can't control how people hear, interpret, and process whatever you share, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't share it and be vulnerable. So bless them and help them by walking with them as a mentor or a close friend, if you have the capacity for that, and keep it moving. So in conclusion, let's go back to our scripture and read it from another version, the message version. Romans chapter 7, verses 15 through 25. Now, we're going to go all the way through. And it says, What I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another, doing things I absolutely despise. So if I can't be trusted to figure out what is best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's command is necessary. But I need something more. For if I know the law but still can't keep it, and if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions such as they are don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel, and just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but am pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. Y'all, wasn't that good? That's the message version. Okay. Now let's reread that, replacing that word sin with habit and see how differently that hits you. Verse 15, what I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then act another, doing things I absolutely despise. So if I can't be trusted to figure out what is best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's command is necessary. But I need something more. For if I know the law, but still can't keep it, and if the power of habit within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide to not do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions such as they are don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, habit is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel, and just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? 
The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but am pulled by the influence of habit to do something totally different. Paul said his answer was found in the strength and purpose of Jesus Christ. Guys, the beauty and power of the gospel or the good news is that it doesn't matter where you come from, who you were, who you are. No matter what your story is, the gospel says that God loves you and lives in you. And because he is in you, you have the power already within you by being connected to him to change your habits and thereby change your story. Guys, you can have whatever story you want to have. Just remember that a story isn't an actual story without a beginning, a middle, and an end. If you picked up a book and only read the end of the story, you would have no context for that ending. There would be little to no significance. You would likely not be gripped by the ending because you don't know what it's attached to. And if the ending is supposed to be triumphant, you wouldn't even be able to share in that victory or receive inspiration and encouragement from that triumph or joy because you have no context. Your story is yet being written. You have the beginning. That was your childhood. And depending on the age of you as you're listening to this, you may even have the middle, but the rest is still unwritten. Take ownership and responsibility of your story, all the parts of it. Release the blame, guilt, and shame. You are not and don't have to be defined by your past, though your past can and should inform your future. As long as you put in the work to transform those habits that trip you up, impair your relationships, and hinder or prevent your personal growth, guys, you can write new words. You'll have new experiences, and your words and experiences will be shaped by those new, more helpful and beneficial habits. So that at the end of your life, you can look back over it and say, whew, we might have started out shaky. But with God's help, we got that thing together and we did the doggone thing. Well done. Enter into your rest. You deserve it. You should be able to look back over your life and say that to yourself. And at the end of your life, others can look at your story or even along the way. They can look at your story with the context and receive inspiration and encouragement to help them along their journey as they write their story. But this only happens when you own your story, all of it. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of Let's Talk About It, The Great Area. I hope you guys are enjoying the content in this season so far. And I'll see you next week. Same time, same place. You can start all over, over. Start all over. Start all over. Start all over.